You're listening to Podfabula Productions, a mashup of fiction, nonfiction, ideas, and commentary, created and narrated by your author host, Victor Aquista. Today's episode, A Different Life. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today I am delighted to introduce you to the work of Susan Ranch, a marvelous writer and wonderful person that I have the pleasure of knowing through the Writers' Co-op. I'll be narrating an excerpt from a story to be featured in The Rabbit Hole, Weird Stories, Volume Zero, scheduled for release in July. Listeners may recall in Episode 17 last season, I featured a story from The Rabbit Hole, Weird Stories, Volume 1, and since then a Volume 2 has been published. In keeping with the theme of being weird, Volume Zero follows one and two. And that little oddity seems especially appropriate, because today's story involves some peculiar facets about time. It's a work of speculative fiction about a recently orphaned ten-year-old girl placed in the care of a family that doesn't really want her, when she discovers a strange clock left as a gift at her mother's curbside memorial She learns her past isn't what she thought it was, and her future isn't rooted in her present. Now, without wasting any further time, I give you A Different Life by S.T. Ranch. Well, isn't that nice? Mrs. Larson flicked cigarette ash out the window and pointed a nail-bitten finger at the sidewalk. She was looking at the same spontaneous memorial ten-year-old Hannah could see from the back seat as Mr. Larson slowed the car and flipped up his clip-on sunglasses to admire it on the way to social services. But nice wasn't the word that came to Hannah's mind. Her fingers fiddled with a strand of lank, pale brown hair. Sure, it was nice that a zoo of stuffed furry creatures, real and fantastical, and burned out jarred candles in three bears' sizes and bunches of grocery store flowers in a drying fade of late summer colors had replaced the wreckage and rubble of the accident. But to Hannah, the looming feature was the massive concrete retaining wall, keeping the houses above from losing their grip and sliding down the cliff to bury all the dead things at its foot. The crumbling scar, gouged fender-high through layers of paint, covering layers of graffiti older than she was, smirked at her, mocking her loss. It would be nicer to still have her mother. Across the desk from the foster care man, Hannah slumped at the bottom of the canyon between Mr. and Mrs. Larson, oblivious to their conversation. Nothing pierced the hum of the motor that slowly lowered her mother's coffin into the ground as it played on a loop behind her eyes. Hannah? Mrs. Larson jiggled the girl's shoulder. Hannah, Mr. Petrosian asked you a question. What? The girl asked, raising a glassy stare toward Mr. Petrosian's bearded face. You'll have to excuse her, Mrs. Larson explained. We've just come from her mother's funeral. The social worker waved her off as he focused on Hannah. I'm sorry you lost your mother, Hannah. I can understand your distress. What I was wondering is if you have a key to your house. Mr. and Mrs. Larson would like to stop by there to pick up some of your things. 
They've offered to let you stay with them until I can arrange a more permanent situation. Is that all right with you? Hannah peered through a haze from Mr. Petrosian to the curly-haired, graying Mrs. Larson and back. Stay with the Larsons? Why? Their house wasn't close to hers. Their daughter Julie wasn't in Hannah's class at school because Julie was only in fourth grade. They weren't even friends. Mrs. Larson knew her mother because they both worked in the PTA, but they weren't friends either. Why? the girl asked. Mr. Petrosian's smile was kind. We can't let you stay in your house all alone, can we? He waited for her to shake her head. Mr. and Mrs. Larson have told me they're good church people and they'd be happy to let you stay with them for a while. You know their daughter Julie, don't you? Not really, she whispered. Well, I'm sure you'll become good friends. Hannah tried to nod without shaking loose the tears that were beginning to well. Do you have your house key? he prodded. She wrapped her fingers around the key hanging inside her dress and bit her lips as her breaths came in rapid succession. Mrs. Larson held out her hand. Here, I'll hold on to it for you, Hannah. Hannah clenched it tighter. Maybe Hannah would like to unlock the door herself, Mr. Petrosian suggested. Hannah's vigorous nod sent her tears spattering, leaving black spots on the front of her charcoal gray dress. Mr. Petrosian handed her a tissue. Murky gray tendrils twirled through Mrs. Larson's announcement as they stood in Hannah's own bedroom in Hannah's own house for the last time ever. We just don't have room for all this stuff. Even when Mrs. Larson wasn't smoking, she smelled bad, but the gloomy haze drifting through Hannah's room made the girl's eyes water. Mrs. Larson must have thought she was crying. Scrumbling through her purse, she handed the girl a crumpled tissue and said, I'm sorry. I know you're sad, but we can only let you bring your clothes, your backpack, and that photo of you and your mother. After all, you're only going to be with us until the caseworker finds a real foster home that can take you. The less you have, the easier it will be for you to move again. Mr. Larson handed her a big trash bag, and Hannah stuffed her clothes into it while Mr. and Mrs. Larson showed themselves through the rest of the house. Sweat glistened through Mr. Larson's thin brown comb-over as he unlocked his own front door and turned to Hannah. Stale smoke odors spilled out to greet her. Mr. Larson said, Welcome to Larsonland, kiddo. You could do worse. His wife rolled her eyes and reproached him. Hiram, she said, shaking her head and edging inside past his ample belly. He chuckled and disappeared into his windowless den, closing its door behind him. The scrape and click of a little bolt declared the room off-limits. Mrs. Larson slouched at the foot of the stairs, lighting a cigarette. Peering through her exhale, she instructed Hannah, Your bed is in Julie's room, upstairs on the right. You can put your things in there. You can wash up in the bathroom just across the hall. Julie should be home in less than an hour, and then we'll have dinner. She left Hannah for some other part of the house. Hannah lugged her bag up the stairs, to the first door on the right. It stood ajar, so she pushed it open and stood in the doorway agape. There was one bed. Apparently, Princess Julie claimed its pink and white floweriness because her name was on the pink headboard in gold script. Hannah's bed was a cot with a sheet, blanket, and pillow stacked in the middle. 
She sighed and flattened her trash bag of clothes to stuff it under the cot, because Julie Larson's closet and dresser drawers were already full of Julie stuff. In fact, the entire room was so full of Julie's books and toys and screens, Hannah had to stack a couple of the books on the dresser to clear enough room for her photo. She stuck her backpack next to her trash bag and set about making up the cot. She was smoothing the blanket when Julie burst in, her face red, her eyes darting from one surface to the next. They stopped and squinted at Hannah's photo. Julie's lips pinched together in a wrinkled line. You can't keep that there, a blonde curls whipped back and forth with every head waggle. Put my books back where they were, she demanded. Hannah studied the other girl's face. Your mother said I could bring it with me. Julie stuck her fists on her hips. She didn't say you could touch my things. So pick up your little picture and put my books back where you found them. Maybe we can talk with your mom about it, Hannah suggested. With one swipe, Julie knocked the frame face down on the floor. She glared at Hannah and stomped out. Hannah picked up her photo. The glass was cracked from one corner to the other. Blinking back tears, she ripped a piece of tape from the dispenser on Julie's desk to stick it along the length of the crack. She curled up on the cot and slipped her photo under the pillow. Mama, she whispered, I should have been with you. Her tears flowed. She fell asleep, and no one woke her for dinner. Julie's crown nightlight cast incomprehensible shadows across an unfamiliar space when an exhausting dream chased Hannah from sleep. Her stomach growling, she tiptoed to the bathroom. Light poured out the open door at the end of the hall where Mr. and Mrs. Larson were talking about selling everything in Hannah's house to help defray the costs, whatever that meant. Hannah flushed the toilet and washed her hands, then turned off the light before opening the door. The door at the end of the hall was now closed, muffling the voices that carried on behind it. The girl crept back to the cot and cried herself to sleep again. Girls, it's time to get up. It's time to get ready for church. Cool sunlight sifted through the pink shears as Mrs. Larson entered Julie's room. She took one look at Hannah's red, puffy eyes and reevaluated. I think you should stay home this morning, Hannah, she said. You can come with us next Sunday if you're still here. Next week will be better. Next week was not better. The week before school started used to be a celebration. Let's kiss summer goodbye, Hannah's mom would say. Then they'd fill the week with outdoor adventures and indoor projects they worked on together. This year they were going to go jet skiing and beachcombing and paint Hannah's bedroom to look like an island surrounded by the sea. Instead, Summer had slapped her in the face and stormed away with everything she loved. This year, the last week of summer crawled past, dropping unseasonal showers at Autumn's door while Hannah looked for places to hide. Saturday morning, Summer paused to gloat, and Hannah wandered farther from the Larsons than she had before. She found herself in sight of the memorial. It was now a minor confusion of shriveled blooms, candle stubs, and soggy stuffed animals. Someone had sprayed red paint over a swath of the wall, concealing the gouge like cheap makeup. An unblemished and demanding message overlaying it in black declared, Resist!
A large ginger tomcat, his coat rumpled and patchy, his face scarred by ill-advised confrontations, ambled across the damp street to sniff the tiniest teddy. The golden bear's shiny black eyes stared, unfocused, at the depleted rain clouds, while the faded-to-pink stitching below its black-embroidered nose resembled a smile that might have been hopeful yesterday. The tom's mouth opened in a grimace and his tongue curled back on itself. Turning his rump to the bear, he stuck his tail straight up and shivered a spray of urine in its face. Hey! Hannah charged at the cat, splattering through puddles dotting the street, her footsteps echoing off the wall. The tomcat froze between fight and flight, his tail bushed out, sparse fur standing up along his spine. He bared his teeth and hissed. Get away from there, you nasty thing, she yelled, still running. The cat tore off down the street. The girl knelt in front of the little bear, ignoring the chilly water soaking into the knees of her pink and purple leggings. What did he do to you? She picked it up by its arms and brought it close. Ew! Her face scrunched around her wrinkled nose and she thrust the bear away, letting it dangle by one arm as she set it down gently against the wall. Sitting back on her heels, she folded her arms across her chest. It had been ten days since her life turned inside out, and this was the first time in a week she'd come back to the wall. Why did people leave all this stuff here? Did they think her mother would like it? Was someone supposed to pick it up and take it away? Was that her job? What was she supposed to do with it? Look at all these dead flowers. They just make Mama sad, she thought. Hannah's mother had been sad often enough after Papa died when Hannah was two. Mama waited till Hannah was six to explain what had happened to him, but even then it didn't make sense to her. Something about how often he had to travel back and forth for his job made him so sick he died. Why didn't he just stop traveling and stay home? It was like Mama left out part of the story, but Hannah didn't want to ask her about it because telling that story always made Mama sad. Instead, Hannah asked for stories about the happy things they'd done together, like how Mama met Papa in college when Mama was taking a beginning astro-something class for fun, and Papa was a graduate student teaching the class. Mama said he was the smartest person she ever met, and he had so many ideas about exciting discoveries science would help us make soon that would bring a better, brighter future for everyone. She couldn't help falling in love with him. So after college, they got married and had her. Then she'd tell Hannah about the adventures they had when she was just a baby and all the things Papa would explain to her about the universe before she could even talk. The only thing Hannah was sure she remembered about Papa was his singing. She would have remembered that even if Mama hadn't talked about it so much, but she wished she had something to hold that would remind her of Papa. She sighed over the dead flowers. She wanted to save them to make sure she remembered Mama, but Mrs. Larson would never let her keep them. Hannah picked up the closest rose. Three withered petals fell like broken promises. She sniffled, tucked them into her hoodie pocket and lay the flower beside her. I'll wrap them all up in paper towels or something and hide them under the bed. There's still room. Wiping her nose on her lime green sleeve, she leaned forward to cradle another rose's tattered bloom in her hand. As she lifted it off the collection of things, the corner of a small, lumpy package wrapped in glittery pink paper, caught her eye. She drew it out and swallowed a gasp when she read, 
to Hannah with love, written across it in her mother's handwriting. How could that be? Maybe it only looks like Mama's handwriting. Hannah had always thought it was so beautiful. She did her best to copy it herself, like using one line to cross both T's in the word state, or making her lowercase e like a backward three, or making the bottom loop in her uppercase L much bigger than the top loop. She looked up and down the street while she hefted the package. It felt hard and dense, like it might be made of metal. When she was sure no one was watching, she peeled the paper off in one piece to save it with the petals. The object she unwrapped was a circular, dark golden metal case, engraved on one side with stars surrounding a crescent moon. She ran a finger over its surface. It was warm. Turning it over, she tried to read the words engraved on the edge, but they weren't in English. On the other side, curlicues framed an open-work sun with an iridescent glass center. She pushed the button sticking out from the edge of the case, and the sun side popped open like a locket to reveal a clock face inset with a little rectangle showing next Friday's date, her birthday. Her mother had taught her to read analog clocks, but she'd never seen one like this. The numbers were in reverse order, and the second hand was going backwards. She snapped it closed and checked up and down the street again before slipping it into her pocket. I know you want to know more about this mysterious clock and what happens with Hannah. The good news is the Rabbit Hole Zero Anthology, which has published the complete story, is available for pre-order now at the astoundingly low price of 99 cents for the ebook. Support the Writers Co-op and get acquainted with some new authors. You won't be disappointed. I'll include links in the show notes to the order page and also to Susan Ranch's website. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode. Check out the show notes for information about Podfobler Productions' Facebook page, my author website, and the eight streaming platforms that carry the show. Please subscribe, tell your friends, and keep an eye out for my upcoming suspense novel, Serpent Rising. Until next time, 